It's the B-List Daily on the new 105.5 Sports, live from the Spectrum Healthcare Partner Studios here in Auburn. My name is Aaron Morse, filling in for Maddie B on this Friday morning. Happy to have Coach Dave Wing in studio as well. And on the phone, he is the sports editor of the Boston Herald, formerly of the Lewis and Sun Journal, Justin Pelletier. And Justin, thanks so much for joining us this morning. The first thing I noticed, bostonherald.com in the sports section today. Big article on women's ice hockey. We've touched on it before on this program. But tell us more, a little bit about how it's it's outgrowing its dependence, apparently, on the men's game, which is obviously huge. Yeah, so uh, this is a project that uh, that uh, Marissa came to us uh, about two and a half months ago and said she wanted to work on and at the time, um, really didn't know. Even she really didn't know where the where the story would take us. Um, whether it was a story about women, uh, could they eventually play in the NHL, or whether it was a story of, of what it turned out to be was uh, the the overriding feeling in the women's hockey community, especially at the elite level, that the goal really isn't um, for women to play in the NHL anymore. It's it's not necessary because it's not necessary in their mind, uh, for women's sports or women athletes to be judged against male athletes. Why not just appreciate the, the women's sports, uh, and specifically hockey, for what it is, which is elite-level hockey that deserves as much attention as the men's game uh, gets, uh, but without having to measure one against the other. And I think that's the important message that comes out of this, uh, really, is that uh, you don't need... Uh, there's no context necessary, you know, uh, measuring Kendall Coyne was fast at the All-Star game, as fast as so-and-so from the men's game. Just appreciate the fact that she was really darn fast, right? And I think that's, that's kind of the message that came out of this whole thing, um, is, is that the measuring women against men isn't necessary. Why not just measure it for what it is, which is quality, uh, quality sports and quality entertainment in general? We got some quality ice hockey up here in Maine on the girls' side with Lewiston going undefeated this year in the regular season, and they're playing in the semifinals against Yarmouth Freeport uh, tomorrow at 4:15 at the Coliseum. So that's obviously, you know, continuing the success here both on the boys and girls' side in Maine as well. Obviously, right here in the Twin Cities. Yeah, no, and we touched on this last week. Uh, obviously, uh, you, you do remember, but. I don't know if uh, all listeners were uh, involved last week, but, uh, you know, Lewiston in general uh, and Maine, uh, Lewiston in particular and Maine in general, or Lewiston Auburn, I should say, because it's been both sides of the river yeah. uh, and all three schools, have turned out some really solid young women who play hockey. Uh, some stay, some uh, will go on to college, some leave and go to prep schools, but they come from this area or that area, and uh, it, it, it's a great tradition uh, that the area has uh, in the women's game uh, dating back now 25, 30 years uh, to when St. Dom's had it, uh, had the first team, uh, one of the first teams in the state overall that was uh, an all-women's team. So really great to, to, to have that legacy uh, in the Twin Cities. And it's great to see Lewiston doing as well as it has. It had a, a couple of close games this year, and I anticipate once you get down to the uh, regional final and state level, there's going to be some really good battles. Uh, for them uh, in the uh, in the playoffs, and uh, it's fun to see. Yeah, and luckily for them, though, they get to play at the Coliseum all the way through if they make it. So that's <laughs> that's a that's helpful. So I'll tell you though, I, you know, some people will gripe about that, um, and, and they do so for the men's or the boys tournament as well. Um, but the reality is, 
there is no better venue for that level of hockey in the state of Maine. And and um, you see that the, the MPA keeps going back to the Colafe. Well, there's no other that sized venue in Maine mm. uh, that that's uh, good for hockey. Um, I remember uh, about 15 years ago or so when it was still kind of rotating for the regional finals. Lewiston and Edward Little played in a regional final in an East regional final, and uh, that year the uh, uh, venue was uh, uh, Alfond Rink at Colby College, and a great place to watch a hockey game, no doubt. Uh, I love that rink. I love that they're doing some renovations to it here coming up. Um, but the reality was they probably turned away as many people as got into that building mm. for that game, uh, and it was just not big enough. And then on the flip side, again, the Cross Insurance Arena uh, down in Portland is a fantastic venue for uh, many things, but for high school hockey when those regional championships were down there and I covered those, uh, most notably, uh, uh, I believe it was a six overtime game between Lewiston and Brunswick one year. Wow. Uh, there was a good crowd there. There was a really good crowd there, probably 2,000 people, but in that building, 2,000 people feels like nothing. And so to find something in the middle like the Colisee is, is perfect, and I don't think you're going to find a better venue for this event uh, in the state of Maine. So, yeah, it unfortunately gives Lewiston and, and to some degree St. Dom's and Edward Little because they don't have to travel uh, a little bit of an advantage at that level. Uh, but at the same time, finding a better venue that's going to get better revenue for the main principals association um, that's quasi-central central to most teams, unfortunately, Bangor notwithstanding. Justin, uh, I was the chair of the ice hockey committee through some of those times, and we beat ourselves up trying to say, well, we're hearing all these complaints. Let's move it around. We played at the Portland Ice Arena for Class B. Well, on the same night, we had two games scheduled there, big games, local teams, big crowd. They had something going on at the Expo, and the entire parking lot was filled up with big trucks and other things. We, we didn't have any place for people to park. And we and the team the game went to overtime. We had no way to get some people in, move other people out. So people were standing out in the snow, waiting to get into the arena. Then right. we said, "Well, we we can't just have everything loose." And so I talked them into having the state championship game for Class A at at Alfond Arena in Orono. What better venue than that? It was Waterville against North North Yarmouth Academy. And I'm telling you what, I was there with a few of my close friends. There was no one there. <laughs> it, it was uh, horrible for the teams, for the MPA. It, it was horrible. And so when we finally said we're coming back and we're coming to the Coliseum because no matter who's playing, the, the fans will come out. Now, they may not come out like it will if it's Lewis and St. Dom's or Lewis and EL, but they'll still come out. I don't care who's playing, number one. Uh, number two, uh, there's not a bad seat in the house. Uh, and like I say, we tried all the others. The, the biggest concession that finally uh, I thought made sense was I said, I can't in good faith, let's say St. Dom's is in the tournament. I can't let them have their own locker room that has St. Dom's colors, St. Dom's all everything on the door. So how about we make it the highest seated team gets the home locker room and then go from there? Well, you can believe what a difference that made for the coaches. I mean, they really sure. thought it was a big deal that Lewis and St. Dom's, whatever, didn't necessarily get their own locker room. Now, they might if they were the top seed, but that made a tremendous difference and kind of calmed people down to saying, all right, well, that, that makes sense to us. It, we're all, everybody's in the same game then. You, 
you know, even though they didn't have to travel, you always have some of that, no matter where you play. Right. And uh, no, but it's been great. It, it's been great being able to have it there. Uh, like I say, the I'm not sure the crowds in any of those things lately have been as big as they were back along, maybe 15 years ago. I mean, 15 years ago, St. Dom's Lewis, and you, if you weren't there for the JV or, or the game before it, you weren't getting a seat. And we're not seeing that anymore. Uh, just not. Well, yeah, you're, you're, I mean, you know, and that's a, that's a bone of contention with me a little bit because I think we tend to romanticize a little bit what it used to be. Uh, when I was working at the Sun Journal early on, I'd hear that all the time, even like, you know, the, the 2003, 2004, oh, this is nothing like it used to be, and it was always, you know, someone with uh, uh, a lot of experience in the game but uh, who, looked at me, who would look at me, and I'm 23, 24 years old, and uh, you don't know you know, the history or whatever. Well, first of all, I grew up in the town, right? Like, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's nothing new to me. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I was at one point uh, when I was part of the, the old Lions tournament that uh, still sure. in yep. some form still exists. But when I was part of the Lions tournament through the 80s and 90s, you know, people were romanticized about the size of the crowds and all this other stuff. I went back through and I pulled up some archive uh, agate pages from the Sun Journal just for fun that used to list the attendance at high school hockey games, right? Really? And... Um, back in the, yeah, sure. And, and so in the 1980s, when everybody says, oh, it was the heyday, right? It's the 70s and 80s. So I pulled some up. Some of the attendance numbers for Lewiston against St. Dom's were 1,800, 1,600. That's not filling that place to the Raptors. No. I think people forget no. that it wasn't always that way. Uh, particularly when one team is more dominant than the other, sometimes some from one side will tend to stay away a little bit more. I mean, I think when both are very good, and, and that's been the case now, also, don't forget, for state finals, you've had a Lewiston, St. Dom's, or Edward Little representation in a main Class A state final every year but two since the year 2000. So think about that a second. For the last 18 years, and, and it seems on track this year, although you never know with the street, Lewiston's kind of gone on the other way right now. But um, starting in 2000 with St. Dom's back-to-back, or 99, really, with the St. Dom's back-to-back team, Every year since 1999, so for the last 20 seasons, only two have you not seen either Lewiston, Edward Little, or St. Dom's in the state final. And that's done wonders for the attendance, obviously, at the Colisee for these state finals. Um, it's an incredible streak for that region in general, Lewiston-Auburn uh, and, and the surrounding towns, to have uh, that elite level of hockey at the high school level being played over this, this long, whether it's Edward Little being strong, for its runs at the state title uh, in the early 2000s to uh, St. Dom's and Lewiston almost kind of alternating here until this last uh, uh, three-year Lewiston run. So um, that's helped, of course, as well. But Lewiston in general and Lewiston-Auburn in general, the region, comes out for hockey. Uh, I, do you remember a few years back, actually probably about five years now, when we had the NCAA Division Three National Championships yes. relocated to Lewiston uh, after there was a conflict at Lake Placid? Uh, Bowden hosted. Uh, it was a great event. Um, the organizers at the time, that was the most attended or the best attended Division Three overall, uh, all three games of the National Championship Final Four uh, that had been held. And that's because if it's hockey, by and large, Lewis and Auburn folks sure. are going to come out for it. Yeah. Whereas if you go to Lake Placid, typically it's the teams traveling there that would fill up the stands and maybe a few rabid fans. But, but uh, the locals uh, in Lewis and Auburn is what made that one of the best attended uh, Division Three Final Fours that they'd ever had. Yeah, uh, so it, it, it speaks to the speaks to the region. 
Yeah, so we're broadcasting Lewiston, Bangor this Saturday at 7.30 right here on 105 Sports. And Justin Lewiston has not lost to a Class A North team yet this year, but they have lost two straight games, uh, surprisingly, to Class A South teams. They lost in overtime to Thorne, and then they inexplicably lost 5-1 to one to South Portland, a team that's, you know, 8-6, and six, but not exactly a powerhouse in Class A South. And so... I mean, I don't know. It seems like Lewiston might be vulnerable. They certainly had some close calls with St. Dom's this year, so it seems like it's going to be wide open in the state tournament this season. Well, I'll tell you, you're right. It is going to be wide open. And, and uh, you know, talking with uh, – I had a chance to run into uh, Jamie Bellow, uh, Coach Bellow, after uh, uh, the thriller against St. Dom's uh, in overtime. And, uh, uh, you know, even he said, you know, we just can't keep going on like this, right? I mean, and, then, and that was before the, the comeback against Greeley – uh, a few days later, right. so um, that, those come from behind Wednesday. Eventually, we're going to come back to bite them. I think he knew it. Um, I think he also realizes that uh, this team is, as we've talked about here before, is not the same as the, the previous three teams. As it actually more closely here um, than it does the other two. But even that, last year, he's lost. Uh, I think he lost uh, near ten players off of that state championship team from a year ago. And uh, as is the case in high school sports, you know, this is your fourth year running at it. Not a single player on this team remembers the first one from being on the ice with them. Um, only maybe one or two years ago, and really only about 10 or so remember last year out of the 20. So it's a great coaching job that he's done to put them where they are. Um, but, again, this team can't fall behind. They need to get the jump early uh, in a game. Uh, to, uh, to, to have success um, going forward. I think these come from behind were great, but I think maybe some of those kids probably thought, ah, took it for granted, oh, we get behind, we can always come back because that's what they were doing. I think these two losses have been important for them to remember that they can't always necessarily come back if they get behind and they need to try to play, play from ahead. Well, it'd be silly of us not to talk about the Super Bowl, right? I mean, you what was your prediction? And it, you, you came kind of close, right? Uh, kind of. I believe I said by nine, right? The final was by ten. Good job. Yes. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you that point. I, I, uh, yeah, so it's funny. I, I was actually going to ask you if you all felt a really, really strong wind gust at all any time last night, uh, somewhere around 7.30 p.m. or so last night in Lewisian Auburn area, because uh, that would have been my sigh of relief last night. Oh, because Super done. the Super Bowl is all done. All done. We've got spring training started, plant planning started, and, and it's on good track. <laughs> our, our big project with um, with the women's hockey project was done and put to bed and ready to post online last night. Yep. The, stuff, the trade deadline in the NBA was over. Right. That's what I was thinking. Uh, and all the Tyree kerfuffle was done. Uh, <laughs> this, yesterday, last night, and this morning are the biggest. Uh, it's just it's the biggest weight off of our shoulders down here right now yeah. because of that. And it's just it's it's been incredible the run that we've been on from the World Series straight through this week, just a nonstop. And it's kind of nice to be able to sit back for a day or two at least and say, you know, we did some really good work. Uh, a lot of people did a lot of work, uh, busted their butts to get things done, and it was it was pretty good. And it's nice to have a day or two to just kind of reflect on that instead of having to go nuts straight through. Yeah, it's interesting. The, the Super Bowl, um, for me, as a, as a non-Patriots fan, I was bored out of my mind. I, I didn't really care who won the game necessarily, but I just wanted an exciting game. Uh, you know, from your perspective, you know, watching it, I mean, 
was it a deep was it a good defensive game was it just a bad game overall what were your thoughts on the quality of that game well the overall quality, i think there's, there's a lot of people in your camp yeah. i really believe that <laughs> um i i'm not i'm not one that needs uh, a shootout 51 to, to 45 or whatever the heck uh, i don't need that either um i do like a measure of defense to be played i think what you saw was a combination of a couple of things i think you saw an overhyped Rams team with an overhyped head coach. Not to say that they're bad. I'm, not, I'm saying overhyped is not necessarily bad. It's just I think too much credit was given too early to that to that group. Um, you know, Jared Goff, Jared Goff for his first eight games was one of the top two quarterbacks in the league. Right, 24 touchdowns, yes. only eight interceptions through eight games, and then he had more interceptions than touchdowns the last eight games of the season. And so I think a lot of people were living off of their memory of him through that, that Kansas City game and not, not really taking a close look um, at uh, – and, and, you know, the Patriots' defense for all of its problems all season long. Those last two games uh, and, and the first two games of the playoffs, they really showed something. And, and that's why I thought that the Patriots were going to win by, by nine uh, when I originally said that because I think their defense was far superior to the Rams' defense uh, overall because, again, the Rams' defense was predicated on getting pressure around the edges. And the Patriots' offensive line proved over and over again, as it did in the Super Bowl, as long as it gives Brady a pocket to pass from in the middle, those edge rushers become completely inconsequential, and you saw that. Now, I also think that Brady was less sharp than he's ever been in a play in a Super Bowl. Mm. I, think, I think Brady looked not bad, because that, that is very wrong. Right, he still passed for 200 and almost right. 300 yards. It wasn't Peyton Manning you know? with the Broncos or anything like that. Right, no, 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 yeah. not at all. Yeah. Um, but I do think you know there were some passes where they looked a little wobbly. Right. Um, he was he was hitting uh, his receivers that were open. He was hitting. He hit a couple in tight windows. Of course he did. Um, he's still Tom Brady, but it wasn't as as dominant and consistent as you've seen him in the past. Again, not to say that he was instead of an A plus, he was probably a B plus. Right. Mm. Which. Um, not a bad thing, um, but just not to the level of Super Bowl MVP Tom Brady from uh, even last year where he had 500 yards passing because he had to, right? So um, I, I, I found it interesting. I found it intriguing and interesting. Exciting, no. No. Um, <laughs> but watching all of that unfold and knowing what you know and, and kind of looking through the lens of um, it, it was different, it was odd, um, it was not exciting, but it was intriguing. I think that's the best way I can I can put it. Everyone who had the over was furious, of course. <laughs> well, of course, yes. And then that would have been honestly that would have been me, right? Because my prediction was right. nine points, but the, but the over by a by a by a score. So yeah. Um, <laughs> I, good thing. Good thing I'm not a gambler, right? Right. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> Although you've been pretty good with picking the uh, the margins of victories, so <laughs> yeah, the, mar- the margins I can do, but yeah. you know that's, that's just you know. The feeling, right? So yeah, exactly. So last night, um, last night, I know the general feeling is you know that Celtics game last night. The Lakers might have won on the court, but the Celtics won off the court because the Lakers could not land uh, the brow. <laughs> well, I'll t- I'll tell you what, and I have a very unpopular opinion. Okay. that becomes more popular um, as people really think about what I what what my thought is. So my first popular, my first the unpopular opinion. I don't think the Celtics need or should go after Anthony Davis at all mm. because of the cost. 
um, from all public reports and from everybody uh, with whom I've spoken here in my own office, um, it's going to cost them Tatum uh, and Brown and Picks and and maybe even Marcus Smart, right? I mean, that's that's how the stuff is being thrown out. That's what that's what everybody's talking about is how much it's going to cost to get Anthony Davis here uh, to also work with Kyrie Irving. But then you lose your complimentary players, uh, and you probably lose Luke Morris because you're not going to be able to keep him um, in uh, free agency because he's due next year to make some money. So between Marcus Morris being gone and then you lose Brown, Tatum, uh, any draft pick you might possibly get this year uh, with your first-rounders that you have uh, to, to land Anthony Davis, you become now, right now the Celtics team prides itself on its depth, on being able to run two units out there that can still hang with the other team's first unit. Uh, I don't think that Brown, uh, Irving, and then Hayward alone is enough when you're not going to have depth behind them to spell them when they need their rest. So my thought is that instead of going after Davis, what if you try to work with Golden State, who has a very perturbed superstar right now in Kevin Durant? Oh my goodness, he is off his rocker at the moment. Yeah, he's not. <laughs> he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to be there. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think. I think he's. I think the local media has perturbed him. I think his situation has, has finally come to a head. But the only way you're going to be able to try to go after Durant is with a sign-in trade uh, because of the way the money works. So why not forget Anthony Davis? Why not try to do a work a sign-in trade that involves Jalen Brown, Marcus Morris, and maybe add a, 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 a pick uh, in there uh, to sweeten the deal, and you send that group to Golden State in a sign-in trade, and then Kevin Durant comes in here. Okay, the Boston media would. Uh... <laughs> you still have Tatum. Yeah. You still have Irving. You still have Tatum. You'll still have Smart, and you'll still have Rozier as your as your, your as your backup point guard. And you'll still have most of this depth. Plus, don't forget. Uh, and here's my uh, my other uh, little prediction here. I think Robert Williams next year is going to be one heck of a player. I think I think he's just starting to find out how good he is uh, right now, and I think he's going to be one great player for this team eventually uh, if people can just be a little bit patient with him. And so all of that, forget Anthony Davis. You've just kept Kyrie. You've added uh, you've added uh, Kevin Durant with Kyrie. You still have Gordon Hayward sitting there, um, who's eventually going to come back into form. And you still get all these other ancillary pieces, including Jason Tatum. You tell me that doesn't sound better than oh, mortgaging okay. the farm for Anthony Davis and his eyebrow. I like it. <laughs> I'm just imagining Kevin Durant dealing with uh, you all in the Boston media if he can't handle the Golden State Warriors local media there in Oakland. <laughs> yeah, true, but don't forget also when, when it was time to court him the first time around after he, when he was leaving OKC, Boston was one of his final two teams. Mm -hmm. Boston was in the mix. And so if it was in the mix then, I've got to imagine at least somewhere it's still in the mix now. Yeah. What do you, What was your impression of that press conference he gave? Or I don't know if you want to call it a press conference, but, like, he, he, he's sick and tired of people asking about free agency and stuff, but, like, he's the one who keeps signing one-year deals. It's like, come on, man. Like, seriously? <laughs> well, the NBA, the, NBA, the NBA in general has given too much power to the players, I think, and that's, that's something that needs to be addressed going forward for the better of the league. 
but I think that was a, that was a, you had a, a commissioner uh, in David Stern who was uh, more in control of the, of the situation. I just think Adam Silver, by his by his absence uh, over the last couple of years, has really let things get a little out of control, um, and they've given too much power to the players themselves in terms of movement and the way they sign contracts and stuff, and the agents uh, in particular, but the players in general uh, have have really kind of. Uh, made this uh, not not a, a fair uh, shake for you know markets like Sacramento uh, or Memphis uh, or even Orlando anymore. Uh, these these markets, Phoenix uh, or Arizona, uh, it's just near impossible for these teams to, to gain any traction uh, because they're not desirable locations where the players want to go and the players hold all the cards. Yes, they. Yes, certainly they do. And if any, they ask if ask any little question that seems like uh, it's it's too much. I don't know. Yeah, Durant has kind of. I used to like him, but he started to tick me off a little bit. But yeah, he would be great for the Celtics, no doubt about it. He's one of the top three players in the league. So <laughs> we'll, well see. Exactly. Yeah, and and I, I don't think you'd have to mortgage as much of the farm to get him as you would to get Anthony Davis. And I, I frankly, Anthony Davis is the big man du jour in the NBA. Right? Everybody's enamored with the with the best big man. That's yeah. always the case, um, and he's the best big man. But um, you know, uh, did anybody watch uh, Daniel Tice last night? Um, he, he's a he's a pretty good big man, and um, he went off against the Lakers last night. I mean, absolutely off. Is that normal? No. But could you develop him into what you you know the big man minutes that you need while also adding Durant uh, as a, as a forward? I mean, absolutely, you could, right? Absolutely. Uh, well, it'll be interesting offseason. We shall see. Uh, he is the sports editor of the Boston Herald. Follow him on Twitter, jpel915. Justin Pelletier, thanks so much for joining us on the B-List today. Appreciate it. You got it. Thanks a lot, guys. Good Take luck care. this week with the playoffs. Oh, yeah. Right, We're getting thanks. going in basketball. Thanks so much.